We're going to continue on in our series that, we've been, that we just started last week called Underrated. And just as we shared last week, sometimes as we, sometimes as we continue in our relationship with God and um, there are certain attributes or aspects of our life that we look to that we feel like we underrated in comparison to its importance of how it helps us in following after God. And so uh, this week, we're going to focus of on losses. Because a lot of times in our minds, we experience losses that feels debilitating. That whatever we have in our life, that whatever we're holding to, as we move forward in life, these things become more and more important to us. And sometimes when we lose out on a certain thing, we feel like that loss becomes paralyzing. It becomes debilitating. Suffering a loss, it is paralyzing. It does feel like it stops us on our track and we get lost and confused and we spiral because of it. So whatever kind of loss that that may be, for some of us, it may have been a loss in a business deal. Others, it may be a rejection letter that we received. Others, it might be an important game that we were supposed to win and we really worked hard for. A significant relationship that we lose. Any loss, it does feel at that moment and in the t- period of mourning that we experience, it feels suffocating at that time. It makes us feel like we don't know what our future holds. It brings up all of these angst and all of these, um, these worries that makes us feel like our life has no clear future ahead. This is why we get so overwhelmed by certain emotions. We have a difficult time seeing any other hope, any other good thing. We refuse to look at anything else because we are simply looking at our losses, what we lost, and it creates in us hopelessness and brokenness. It really is distressing to our very core. Those are the moments that we realize that No amount of words at that time. No amount of people surrounding you and hugging you at that time. And even if you have a wider community that's willing to walk through that journey with you at that time, it doesn't ease that sting of loss that we suffer through. You know, some of us, we may be going through some sort of sting of loss right now. And I can't imagine, when we look at what's been happening in, in the world around us, I can't even imagine the kind of loss that the people of Ukraine must be experiencing right now. You know, one day, you know, they were hearing of these, uh, these thoughts of, of invasion and what will happen if Russia actually comes in and this thought of maybe it's just a bluff, maybe it's not going to really happen because your whole life was rooted in that country. Your whole life as you were bringing up, you know the streets, you went to the schools, and then suddenly all of that is being taken away. Suddenly, from one night as you go to bed and you keep hearing these threats, but it's not real yet. You still have your business. It was still school as usual. It was still business as usual the day before you went to sleep. But then at that night, the invasion happens. The missiles, uh, the missiles start coming in, and it's almost surreal at that time. Is this really happening? Am I about to lose everything that I live for? 
my, my job, my future career, my home, my security, my finances, everything. And in one day, their whole world is upended where they're just packing things as fast as they can and driving to borders to escape death, to escape this invasion. You know, many lost their homes, their possessions, their careers, and too many will lose loved ones or their own lives in this attack. See, when we suffer loss, it's debilitating. It paralyzes us. We can't see anything else. Hope begins to disappear. We get angry. We become confused. We feel lost. And the sense of hopelessness begins to overwhelm our everyday thoughts. It literally feels like there's no footing, there's no secure foundation upon which we can stand. You know, it's during these, these types of moments that I often find myself asking, what role does my faith have to help in these times of trouble? When you look at people of faith that are there in the Ukraine and people who may not have any sort of faith, their experiences are the same. Their experience of loss and confusion and hurt is exactly the same. So how does faith play in into those such experiences? Does faith even matter when our life is upended in that kind of way? Although I may, not, I may never completely understand how God works in situations like this, I do find a little bit of solace in the fact that biblical characters who were a lot more spiritual than I am experienced the same sort of debilitating losses in their own life and they still came out in worship of God. They still experienced and held to the sovereignty of God in these situations. Let's read Psalm 46 together. When we look at Psalm 46, we see the psalmist here, it's attributed to the sons of Korah. They were experiencing loss of a certain magnitude. And they're trying to express how their faith relates to this in these times of loss. Look at what Psalm 46 says. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, at the, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. 
The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You know, for the psalmist here, the psalmist was sharing just how difficult and horrific his own circumstances were during this time. He describes it as this. It feels like, it literally feels like the mountains are falling. The very structures of our earth that seem immovable. It feels like these things are crumbling and falling into the sea. He, he mentions that Nations that are around, that seem stable, even these nations are up in an uproar where the civility is no longer something that we can entrust ourselves to. He talks about there's this desolation everywhere that anywhere that you look, it looks like any sort of hope, any sort of life-givingness is gone. That there's just utter emptiness and dryness Everywhere that you see. He talks about wars breaking out. Because there is no peace. There is no certainty. There is no uh, sense of security. And everyone's clamoring to get whatever they can. Because life is so difficult. But through it all, as difficult as life is, as tragic and horrific, the world around them seems to be, uh, seems to be heading towards. The psalmist opens up this kind of experience by talking about this. He declares, God is my refuge. An everlasting help in trouble. God makes these sorts of wars cease at the sound of his voice. You see, we see two different worlds that are happening right now. Our present reality that is being upended. That there is nothing around that we can find hope in. And it's, uh, it's, um, the, the scene around us is horrific. There is nothing that we can see as a way to the future. But despite all of this, the psalmist for whatever inside secret that he might have, He's still able to say with certainty, he's not just trying to make it up. He's saying, this is my experience. That despite the fact that my world is falling apart, I trust in this and I've experienced this. That God is my refuge and ever-present help in trouble. And this is why by the end of the psalm, we see him with these words saying, so be still. And know that God is God. You know, so when we hear this, as powerful as these words seem to be, we go back to the original question that I asked when, you know, when we look at the Ukrainians and just the war that they're going through and just 
how their whole life is just in one day, just overturned and they lose everything. The question that we still ask as we read this and and we have this assurance that God is our refuge, God is our ever-present help, but how does faith make a difference? How does this help us when we are experiencing debilitating loss? So before we continue, I'd like to invite us to take some space right now and reflect on how our faith helps us or how we think our faith helps us when we experience losses of this magnitude, of this kind. You know, last night, despite all of the horrific and discouraging reports that I was reading that was leading up to the invasion, and then when the invasion began to happen, I began to see another group of reports that began to filter in into the news cycle that offered a little bit of hope. As much as it showed these long lines of Ukrainians at the border and people being separated, fathers being separated out, being conscripted to join the army because they were of fighting age, and then only the uh, women and children being allowed to cross, and this whole kind of refugee crisis that is happening on several borders to try to escape the invasion that is happening, we also saw in Poland Another interesting site where not only was the lineup towards getting into Poland massive, but so was a lineup from Poland trying to get into Ukraine. And, and as news outlets began to explore, what is all this a convoy of cars and, and trucks that are there? Who are these people? They, they found out that many of them were uh, expats. Of, of Ukraine. They were Polish Ukrainians that decided we can't just stand here and watch our home country um, become invaded like this without us doing anything. They decided that they will cross over and try to help the resistance and to help their homeland from this invasion that was happening. You know, it wasn't just them. There were also reports of just regular citizens, a pizzeria owner, um, a businessman, IT people that were trading their keyboards for machine guns, and then politicians who have never held a gun, volunteering themselves to fight. You know, so when some of these people were interviewed and they were asked why by these news outlets, why are you crossing into Ukraine when when the majority of your citizens are trying to escape Ukraine at this time? Their response was pretty much the same, and it was this. There's no other country that's going to fight for us. This is our country. We are the ones that must defend it. You know, reading some of these reports, in spite of the challenges and the loss that was happening, it was heart-stirring. It was inspiring to read these testimonials of these people that decided we will stand and fight. You see, despite their losses and the heartache that they were personally experiencing, some of these people, they made a decision to shift their focus from the debilitating losses, to shift their focus from thinking, I lost this, or my whole life is upended. What am I going to do now? What's going to happen to my future? Rather than fixing their attention on these things, they turned their focus or fighting over a new vision. 
They decided, this is my home country, and although it's being attacked, I believe in what Ukraine can become, an independent, democratic country that offers a a place of hope for its own citizens. They were fighting for a new vision rather than focusing on their debilitating losses. See, what we see happening in this point when, when we're experiencing loss and whenever any one of us experience loss, we see these kind of people, they make an intentional decision to shift their worldview from focusing on one worldview to shifting it to another. You see, despite the psalmist's world and the reality of what his own world was experiencing at this time, everything was shattering. Everything was being broken up. Anything that he found any security or assurance was, it was all gone. Despite all of this was hap- that was happening, we see a competing vision, a competing picture that began to inaugurate into his heart and to his mind. And it's this, despite the reality that's around him and what's he experiencing, he talks about in verse 4, this city of God, this other vision. He's saying this is the city of God that offers refuge and that offers hope. He also is reminded about who God is, despite the debilitating losses that they are experiencing in verse 5. You see, there are two different worlds that are competing for his mind's vision, for his mind's eye focus at this time. One is his current circumstances, where everything is falling apart. His present world as he knows it is completely insecure. But there's also a competing reality that is fighting for his attention. And that competing reality is the inauguration of the kingdom of God. This kingdom that has a truer reality that wants to pierce through their current one. Look at what is written. So he comes to point this out in Psalm 46, 8. And he says this, despite everything that you're seeing happening before you, the mountains are falling and going into the sea. The earth is being shaken up and it's melting where there's no security around you. Despite all of this, there's this invitation that the psalmist brings us towards. And he says in Psalm 46, 8, he says, so come and see what the Lord has done. In other words, yes, your focus is on this and we're seeing what the world has done. We're seeing what evil has done. We're seeing how the brokenness of our sin and the brokenness of our humanity has done. That is what we are currently seeing. But then he says this, he says, instead of fixing your eyes on these things, he says, come and see instead what the, what the Lord has done. It's like competing radio signals. Have you ever driven your car and then you're in this like one stretch of road where, you know, you're at the limits of a certain radio station that you've been listening to, and now you're also kind of, imp- uh, you're like crossing the, the radio frequencies of another station that, that shares the same bandwidth. And then you, you're listening to your radio station and you're listening to the songs that you like, but then you hear it get interrupted by a different station with its own agenda and you begin to hear its talk show that is happening. It's kind of like that. 
Here are two different realities. Here are two different bandwidths. Here are two different stations that begin to compete because the worlds are crossing. You know, for us as well, we're introduced to a new worldview that, that, that invites us to understand that our physical reality is not the only reality that exists. He actually, the Bible talks about our physical reality as one that is passing and there is a truer and a greater reality that exists and keeps on inaugurating, keeps on pushing through in and to our current one. This is God's kingdom. In John 17, verse 14 to 16, Jesus keeps reminding his disciples in a prayer that he gives, he says, you are not of this world. There's a different world that you were created for. So do not be of this world. Although you are in it, do not be of it because you belong to a truer, greater reality. In other words, what Jesus was saying to his disciples and to all of us is he reminding us there's something that's truer and greater about who you are, your significance, and what your life means that does not belong to a world that is passing away. If we begin to attach all of our eggs, all of our values, all of our significance to these careers that we have in our current reality, to certain relationships that we have in this current reality, to certain dreams that we have in this current reality, what he says is, Our mind focuses on things that pass away, that are not eternal. And he calls us instead to anchor our significance, our identity, who we are, and what we live for to this newer, truer reality that is inaugurating, that is coming. You know, it sounds like hocus pocus stuff, right? (laughs) We're like going, wow, does that even exist? How do we know about heaven and all this kind of stuff? How does that bring us, you know, any sort of comfort? Because it almost feels like you're telling us to believe in this fairy tale, this thing that doesn't exist. No one has really seen it. And you're telling us to anchor our whole identity on that. Well, we all have an experience of knowing how true that is. How do we do that? Well, it's obvious if we look at our life just 20 years ago, some of you, maybe, maybe 20 years ago, some of you aren't born yet, but for me, if I look at my life when I was living it in childhood, it's vastly different than how I've been living it today. And the reason why is this, is that men and women, at the time when I was a child, they began to dream and believe in a future, even though it did not exist yet, They believed in things like there can be an internet, right? And we couldn't even comprehend what is that, right? What is this virtual space that we can live in and that we can interact in? It didn't even exist, but people saw it. It was an unseen reality. And people lived for it. And as they lived for that, it was created. And that's the current reality that we live in today. Despite everything that we're seeing and our limitations, and although it's not a current thing that we can hold or grasp today, the kingdom of God is no different. God says, here's a truer and greater reality. It's coming. And your current one, 
Just as our past life that we lived is something that passes away and is no longer relevant in our future. He says in the same way, this, <clears throat> this kingdom of God, this greater and truer reality, it's coming. And fix your eyes on that. So we're not so devastated when we experience certain losses here and today. Take a look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Jesus reminds his people through John's word. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for God the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of the Father lives forever. You see, what John points out to us is the same thing that we see in our past and our future. We can live in the past and we can keep holding on to it. And we can think how significant it is. Think blockbuster, right? As significant as it was, once was, there's a truer and greater reality that's about to come. And what Jesus says is, if we keep holding on to these world desires, we find ourselves passing away with it. But he invites us instead to focus on what God's will is, or in other words, have a vision of who God is and how he is inaugurating his kingdom and how you are a part of that. He says, focus on these things. And as you do, we begin to live forever. We find the shape of our eternal purpose. See, we're tempted to put a lot of stock into what we have here on earth. And this is why the frequency of our vision, what we're looking for, and what we tune in into, oftentimes is tempted to keep on dialing towards the station of the world and find our significance, our joy, our entertainment in that station. But there's a competing vision that keeps crossing paths with those of us who decide to look to God instead. And as these frequencies begin to cross, what we're called to do is invite our vision to keep on focusing on God's kingdom, even though that reality is not fully seen or experienced yet. See, this is the kind of vision, the kind of reality that, that compels some Ukrainians that are not even in Ukraine at this time desire to return and say, we will fight for that. Even though it's not our reality right now, that's what we are fighting for. See, when we do, despite all of the brokenness and all of the loss that we experience around us, as the psalmist says, as much as our world feels like it's falling apart, there's this eternal security that begins to hold us fast because we realize our significance, our purpose, and who we are is not bound 
by the things of this world that are passing away and the values of this world that are passing away. It's found and it's anchored in God's kingdom, in who Jesus is. This is what he tries to explain in Psalm 46, verse 4 to 5. He says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. See, what the psalmist is trying to uh, unfold here or trying to communicate, he's saying, here he is, the psalmist who's seeing the brokenness and the shattering of the world around him, this experience of debilitating loss. And as he's feeling it physically, as he's feeling it emotionally, as he's feeling it externally, he says this, but, he says, because I am in the world and I'm not impenetrable to these things, these things do affect me. He says, but there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. In other words, he's saying, but despite the circumstances that are happening and the external things that are affecting me, there's something that is within this stream of living water that comes from I don't know where. I can only describe it as from God's kingdom from my my relationship with God, from God's presence, there's a stream that comes and it still feeds life into me. It still brings hope into my being. It still gives me a reason to keep on going even when the things around me all look like it's falling apart. There's something that holds me fast and keeps me filled. There's a stream, a river, a life-givingness that God provides. Yes, we can mourn. And yes, we can be discouraged when we suffer loss. But in spite of what we are suffering, the promise that the psalmist gives is, but there's a life-givingness that God also, that God also brings from within. See, as devastating and cruel it can feel to suffer loss. This underrated value in the experience of suffering loss, it's actually a blessing that comes into our life because it forces us to experience, to see if God really is who he says he is. You know, when times are good, It's very difficult for us to really evaluate, do I really trust the goodness of God? Because we have all of these other superficial things that makes us feel good about ourselves. But when we're suffering loss, it brings us face to face. When it looks like there is no physical, worldly hope around us, it causes us to confront the question, do I still believe that God is good? I still believe he is who he says he is. It was when the psalmist's world fell apart like that, that's where he came to invite and to see this refuge of God is a real thing. The city of God is a real thing. And that's why in verse 8, he says, so come and see, come and change your frequency, come and change your vision from loss to God's kingdom. It was when it appeared 
that the nations were crumbling and, and raging and wreaking havoc on everyone's life. He says, come and see how God provides life-giving streams that are outside of our circumstances that still provides a way forward despite circumstantial hopelessness. He says, this is what keeps me from breaking and utterly falling into hopelessness. And so he says the key, what's the key to all of this? What, what are we coming and seeing? What are we supposed to experience? Well, he says this in verse 10. He says, be still and know that I am God. See, the invitation to come and see God is this. In our moments of grief and suffering and loss, he invites us to retune our hearts and our minds to a different frequency. He says, because of this, your mind's eye and every part of you wants to focus on the loss. And he says, so come and see that God is good. In other words, he's saying, as much as there is loss, he says, be still and know that God is God. In other words, stop focusing on your loss. Turn your mind to who God is. See a different kingdom. See a different power. See a different hope. He says, come. Focus on this greater reality. God is still God. You see, when we do, we realize the Lord Almighty is not only with us, but we get the metaphor that he is our fortress, our refuge, our help in times of trouble. That no matter what we are experiencing, we're not driven by hopelessness anymore. We are driven by a different future and a different significance. You see, debilitating losses can be an underrating experience because debilitating losses, it prunes us of false hopes and shows us how to anchor ourselves in God and not on things that are passing away. It invites us to truly experience God in our life, that He is our hope and our very great reward. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for blessing us with your word today. And with all the saints around the world, we lift up the people of Ukraine. And just the terrible things that they must be suffering through. Father, will you comfort them? I also pray, Father Lord, where you tune their frequency from loss to seeing you as their refuge, seeing greater significance than simply what they have here on earth. And I pray in the same way for us, will you inspire our hearts, our minds, Father Lord, as we begin with prayer to lead us towards learning how do we help build this inaugurating kingdom of God so that not only are our identities and stories anchored on that, but we also can invite others to come and see that God is good.
Thank you, Father. We commit this into your hands. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever. Amen.